Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, Interim Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the President and CEO of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice, in which we learn about updates in the field of laboratory medicine and pathology. Hi, Bill. Welcome back. Yeah, same to you. Long time, no talk. I know. It's been a while. I just returned from the Royal College of Pathologists of Australasia, meeting in Australia for two weeks. So it's nice to be back and uh, back in the office trying to catch up with everything. Yeah, well, and I guess while you were gone, I was in Latvia, mm -hmm. and I was in Phoenix, and then or Scottsdale area, then I was in Washington, D.C., and then I was back here. So, yes, I've been on the road, too. Yeah, lots of travel. You have some big news. Uh, congratulations on being reelected to ACLA. Do you want to tell everyone a little bit about what your role is and, and what ACLA is? Absolutely. So I'll start with what ACLA is. So ACLA stands for the American Clinical Laboratory Association. It is the trade association for laboratories in Washington, D.C. that has a number of different laboratories which are members, mostly commercial laboratories. And there are some associate members that are diagnostic manufacturers like Roche and Hologix and others. But, you know, the big labs, Quest, LabCorp, ARUP, Sonic, ourselves are on there, as well as BRL. So a number. And so there's a board would comprise of the CEOs or of the different uh, major companies and I was elected as the chair of that board, uh, re-elected, I should say. So I work with Susan Van Meter, who's the president of ACLA, to set agendas for a board, set priorities, strategic planning, all of those things. It's a real honor to be elected by my peers on that, you know, exact as well as on there. So a lot of really well-known companies. So it's a real feather in the cap of Mayo Clinic Laboratories and that uh, our leader, which is me, gets chosen to be the, the chair of that board. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's great that we have you to talk to on this podcast and you can kind of give us the inside scoop um, since you're at the table where a lot of discussions are being had with FDA and government and others. So congratulations on that re-election. Yeah, well, and you have a, a major re-election too, I think. As I recall, you got re-elected to the CAP. Yeah, the Board of Governors. governors. Right? Yep, so that's an elected position as well. And any CAP members can elect the governors. And it's a three-year term. So I had been on it for a special one-year term. So now I'm elected for the full three-year term. And I agree, it's just such a privilege and honor to be at the table being able to be part of the decision-making process on things that really impact all of us as laboratorians and pathologists. And CAP has a very large advocacy arm. CAP and ACLA, I think, well, they were both very active in negotiating and advocating for laboratorians on really important topics like reimbursement and valid regulation. So I think it's just essential that we play these roles that everyone who can be a part of these organizations, try to be involved and really advocate on behalf of our profession. Well, I agree. Just look at the where we are as a country, mm -hmm. globally. I mean, just the importance of leadership. I think it's important for people to serve in that role. You know, it's a way to serve others and serve, in this case, our profession as well. To your point, advocacy, I think, is ex extremely important for us in laboratory medicine and pathology, in part because we have a very diverse workforce. We have diverse training. It's not like some other areas of medicine, like 
radiology or internal medicine, where most of the professionals have a very common background. You know, in lab medicine, we, we have the benefit of having people coming from PhDs um, in chemistry and PhDs in microbiology, as well as MDs like myself or an MD PhD like me with a PhD in immunology. So that's great, but it does mean then that we need a, a stronger function to give us a voice, right? And we need these groups really to give us a voice because lab medicine and pathologies, you know, often isn't thought of in the same context as other elements of healthcare, even though it's so critically important for healthcare delivery as we've learned through the pandemic. So you mentioned a couple of issues that, for instance, ACLA is speaking out on behalf of all of us, right? Not just the people that comprise ACLA, but really all lab medicine and pathology. One is, of course, reimbursement. As you mentioned, the Protection to Access to Medicare Act is been, we've had delays and cuts. They, they, we had another one-year delay. So if we don't get a permanent fix, there could be a, a significant decrease in the amount that we get paid for the work that we do, up to 15% per test. So really, really substantial. And then there's a continued desire by FDA to understand its role in regulating laboratory-developed tests. Now, there's, a, there's people have opinions across the board on that, but the reality is that FDA its position is that they have the authority to do so. So we really have to understand that. Of course, there was a ballot act, which was introduced, but did not get passed in, in this last legislative session at the end of the year bill. So it's going to be a continued focus for us. And it, of course, it could have a huge impact on everybody in lab medicine and pathology and our ability to innovate for patient care. So again, things we have to bring those perspectives to the table because they're not obvious to policymakers we're thinking about lots of other things at the same time, both in healthcare and outside of healthcare. So having a group like that that can have a more singular voice becomes really important. Yeah, absolutely, Bill. And I agree with you. We're a diverse group of individuals. And then also, even though we've enjoyed renewed attention with COVID, I think prior to that, a lot of policymakers don't really understand the role of the lab, even though we really are, I think, arguably the backbone of medicine and providing a lot of the information on which our colleagues are making decisions. We don't necessarily have that visibility. Many of us aren't patient facing. And so a lot of people may not really understand what a pathologist or a laboratory director does. So advocacy is essential. And I think there's a role for all of us to play there. Yep. Advocacy and education, because your point, one of the things that was really interesting when I was spending time in DC last year around the issue of FDA regulation of lab developed tests were patient advocacy groups like the Pew Charitable Foundation. Again, there's not a natural connection between patients and the laboratory. So getting engagement with those advocacy groups, those other groups, Friends of Cancer Research, another important group looking at, you know, how do we innovate to continue to stay at the forefront of cancer? Well, of course, diagnostics are key to that. So this gives us a natural space for us to interact, whether it's CAP, or ACLA, there's others, there's a lot, you know, there's AMP, there's a lot of, uh, there's ASM for, you, for American Society of Microbiology. It's really important to stay engaged with these groups, ACC, a lot of them, but to stay engaged, understand the issues and make your voice heard. And if you have the opportunity to lead, to do so, because honestly, the flip side is people really are anxious for information. I mean, it, as much as there's a lot of consternation around governance in this country. I, I would say right now, the reality is there's a lot of people in DC and at state level that really want to do the right things for patients and for healthcare, but right. they can't know what that is unless there's groups that are helping present that information to them. So it becomes really, really important. Yeah. I've heard this saying, many of us have heard the saying, if you're not at the table, you're on the table. Or some people say, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. 
and I don't think it's in a mean spirited way. It's just that if you're not there to really talk about the importance of what you do, it may not be apparent to those making the decisions. And it may be easy to turn to some areas and say, well, this is an area that could be cut and not fully understand the repercussions of what that would have for patient care. Yeah, you're right. And I think that is one of the responsibilities for us as leaders is to make our case known, but also to hear from others and bring that back in so that we can we can contemplate as a profession, what are some of the challenges we're facing in healthcare and in society that labs really need to understand and play a part. So to your point, there's we know that in the US, healthcare spend is higher than in many other developed countries and our outcomes are not as good. And so of course, this is pressure then to just decrease spending and, or to hold spending flat in Medicare and in the government programs, for instance. Well, people need to understand, yes, we do need to think about that, but let's think creatively about how labs can help with that problem, right? That actually making labs less available could actually make exacerbate the problem of inefficiencies in healthcare. So I think to understand that for patients that are concerned, helping them understand what goes into a developed test, what tests are used for, as you and I talked about through the pandemic, What's the difference between a screening assay and a diagnostic assay and how should that information be used? A lot of things that we're seeing out there now are really just misconceptions about how tests should be used and what their role is. So again, I think it, it really, being in leadership helps us amplify our voice, but also the, the, the other thing I've heard is God gave us two ears and one mouth, right? So, so, we got, so that we're listening more than we're talking because I think that's where labs can really start to get traction as when we go to the table saying, we understand the challenges that you're facing, here's how we wanna help solve them. Here's how we should be thinking about labs as part of that solution. Yeah, we wanna be part of the solution for sure. Well, given your role, you've been a part of some interesting discussions recently with the FDA. Do you wanna just maybe finish off with telling us a little bit about what you've been hearing? There is still a strong interest from the FDA to bring some regulatory framework to laboratory developed tests. There was a public panel at the ACLA meeting, it's, uh, it was a great meeting for any of you that are interested in what's kind of happening in public policy, whether it's reimbursement or regulation, it is a great meeting. I really think that anyone interested in lab medicine can, can attend it. It was wonderful. I also heard from Robert Costas, the lead political reporter for CBS News and also from the Washington Post. So he was really interesting, just giving insights on what's happening in DC. It was a great meeting. FDA specifically though, they are going to pursue now rulemaking Unfortunately, the rulemaking they have, they have to use the, the rules that they have. So it would be under device regulation, which would be really onerous for labs. Mm -hmm. They're still very open to the fact that labs need something different. They want labs participating in that table. I think it's a good time to maintain those conversations with FDA because the other thing it's important for people to remember is that the FDA does not have to have a rule because it takes multiple years to get a rule passed, but they can bring in, bring in enforcement whenever they deem fit. And we saw this even before the pandemic with pharmacogenomic testing, where they sent letters out about, you know, to labs that they shouldn't be reporting, you know, what drugs people should be taking. So I think it's something we just have to really keep our ear to the ground. And honestly, this is an important time to maintain that dialogue with FDA and again, understand what their concerns are so that we can help them in having some kind of creative solution. The more that we keep them at bay, the more we're at risk of having an uninformed decision that we're all going to have to try and live with. Yeah, and when you say rulemaking, I'll just, uh, for the audience, we're specifically talking about our lab-developed tests since Valid exactly. did not go through. And because the FDA already feels that they have jurisdiction and enforcement discretion over lab-developed tests, this is something now that they want to use this rulemaking process perhaps to formalize or 
clarify what that is, but I don't think they need that. As you said, they've already acted with their enforcement at their discretion yeah. and can continue to do so. Yeah, there's good. I don't still don't understand. I'm not fully versed in all of the FDA parlance, but there's guidances and there's rulemaking. But rulemaking, my understanding, once a rule is a final rule is published, it becomes part of the statutory requirements for whatever is regulated by FDA, whether it's a you know a diagnostic test or a drug, or in this case, a lab developed test. If you know it's multi-year process, but once a rule is passed, it becomes then the law of the land, if you will. So that's why they're still looking for other avenues. But, and so I think it's just a, a really important time to stay engaged. Yeah, absolutely. Well, great discussion. And thank you for the updates, Bill. Um, we'll keep talking about this. And perhaps next time we could talk a little bit about reflections on pandemic preparedness and what we've learned since we're coming up on a big three-year anniversary now of the pandemic itself. Yeah, it's hard to believe. But yeah, no. yeah, it's important to take a look back, but most importantly, look forward because We've had monkeypox since then. Now there's some concerns around avian flu, I know. So there's these things, just like just like everything else we've talked about, they're not going away. So it nope. uh, gives us opportunities to continue to podcast, which is good. Absolutely. Well, have a great week, Bill, and I'll talk to you next week. Okay, welcome back. Talk to you next you. week. You too. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.